Dear ladies and gentlemen, in this podcast, I'm going to present our article entitled Long-Term Neurodevelopmental Outcome of Neonates Born at Term with Perinatal Hemorrhagic Stroke, a Population-Based Study. Perinatal hemorrhagic stroke is defined as a neonate presenting with neurological symptoms within the first month of life with a focal collection of blood within the brain parenchyma. It is one of the identified causes of cerebral palsy in childhood, and survivors may also have epilepsy, language disorders, and cognitive or behavior problems, often emerging only with maturity. Therefore, perinatal hemorrhagic stroke constitutes a considerable burden on the affected family and society. Our aim was to investigate the clinical risk factors and long-term neurodevelopmental outcome of term neonates with perinatal hemorrhagic stroke born between 2007 and 2017 in central Hungary. Nearly 300,000 live births, not less than 36 weeks of gestation were registered in central Hungary over the study period. Focal parenchymal hemorrhage was documented in 96 subjects. We excluded those whose neurodevelopmental outcome might have been affected by other conditions, such as prematurity, asphyxia, or concomitant ischemic stroke. Therefore, altogether, 55 infants with perinatal hemorrhagic stroke was included in the study. The overall incidence of perinatal hemorrhagic stroke was 1 per 5,300 live births in our patient population. Long-term neurodevelopmental outcome was assessed in 50 children at a median age of 60 months. Neurodevelopmental outcome up to 3 years of age was assessed by the Bailey Scales of Infant Development 2nd edition or by the revised Brunelisin test while beyond three years of age, the Stanford Binet Intelligence Scales was used to assess cognitive development. Importantly, 40% of the affected neonates had been developing according to population norms. In individuals with chronic neurodevelopmental squalae, the most common outcomes were behavior problems, epilepsy, and language disorders. Unexpectedly, cerebral palsy was not as frequent finding as in neonates with perinatal arterial ischemic stroke, since it was only documented in eight patients. Yet in those, cerebral palsy was more severe as three-quarters of the patients presented with tetraparesis. Children developed visual field defect and hearing loss infrequently. The affected brain compartments were classified according to specific lobes, such as frontal, temporal, parietal, and occipital lobes. We also distinguished between unifocal and multiple lobe perinatal hemorrhagic stroke. Additionally, we also noted the involvement of the thalamus and or basal ganglia since previous reports have described an association between the involvement of the thalamus and or basal ganglia and chronic neurodevelopmental outcome. Finally, the ratio of perinatal hemorrhagic stroke to the supratentorial brain volume was further subcategorized as small, 
moderate or large on the basis of their relative stroke volume. Multivariable logic regression analysis revealed that parietal low perinatal hemorrhagic stroke is a significant independent predictor of cerebral palsy and cognitive deficit. The increased risk for cerebral palsy in infants with parietal stroke might stem from the fact that nerve fibers in the corticospinal tract partly originate from and cross over the parietal lobe. The higher likelihood for cognitive impairment in children with parietal lobe stroke is similar to the finding to that of in children with posterior branch middle cerebral artery stroke and we speculate that the contribution of the parietal lobe to the recollection aspects of episodic memory and language delay may also relate to this phenomenon. Yet, exact causative mechanisms need further studies. Additionally, as seen in cases of neonatal central nervous system injury of different etiology, such as hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, perinatal hemorrhagic stroke involving the thalamus and or basal ganglia increased the risk for epilepsy. We also noted that clinical seizures on admission were associated with epilepsy. Therefore, in these patients, continuous electroencephalogram monitoring and initiation of early appropriate interventions are warranted, especially because epilepsy might negatively affect the plasticity of the developing brain. Strokes involving multiple lobes were significant independent predictors of impairment in several neurodevelopmental domains, including cerebral palsy, epilepsy, and the need for ventriculoperitoneal shunt placement. In these patients, the extent of the damage to the central nervous system probably explains their increased risk for adverse outcome. Finally, as another finding, none of the patients with frontal lobe perinatal hemorrhagic stroke developed cerebral palsy epilepsy or cognitive impairment during the study period. This finding must be interpreted with caution though as the status of higher cognitive functions such as emotions, problem solving, impulse control and social interactions regulated by the frontal lobe mostly become evident during school age or beyond. However, in our study Two-thirds of the children with frontal lobe hemorrhage were followed up until school age. Thus, if the findings on the lack of cerebral palsy and basic cognitive impairment in children with frontal lobe perinatal hemorrhagic stroke are confirmed in the future, parents could be reassured about these aspects of neurodevelopmental functions. In summary, we found that 40% of the children affected by perinatal hemorrhagic stroke developed according to population norms. Perinatal lobe perinatal hemorrhagic stroke increased the risk for cerebral palsy and cognitive deficit, and the involvement of the thalamus and or basal ganglia was associated with epilepsy. Additionally, patients with strokes involving multiple lobes 
had poor outcome, and seizures on admission were also associated with the diagnosis of epilepsy beyond the neonatal period. Finally, developmental disabilities were diagnosed less frequently among neonates with frontal lobe stroke. Since central nervous system plasticity is likely the maximal in the neonatal period and during early infancy, early initiation of developmental support, environmental enrichment and parental advocacy are principal in ameliorating brain injury and enhancing the chances of white matter recovery. Thank you for your kind attention.